flew to Belgium and they couldn't let us, didn't want to let us out of the airport. And then from Belgium we crossed again. The same day actually happened, the same day we crossed illegal from Belgium to East Germany and then we drove to West. And then we surrendered in Berlin. is my friend Ani, remembering her experience escaping communist Romania during the revolution in 1989. When I sat down with Ani, I thought we were going to explore Romanian cuisine through her lens. What I received in return was so much more. This inaugural episode was taped in an army barracks, a place that reminded Ani of a temporary shelter that housed refugees fleeing the dangers exploding in their home countries. I am Tina Lindquist, and this is Fusion Cooking, a podcast that explores the world around us through food, history, and stories. Explore, learn, eat. Historically, Romania has been in a perpetual state of unrest. Invasions were common, cultures mingled through immigration and conquests. This former Eastern Bloc country is a melting pot of subcultures bordered by Ukraine, Moldova, Hungary, Serbia, and Bulgaria. The borders have changed as many times as the political climate. Romania is the 12th largest country in Europe and the sixth most populous member of the European Union. After World War II, Romania, occupied by the Soviet Union's Red Army, became a socialist republic. When the Iron Curtain fell in 1989, Romania experienced a violent revolution and started its journey toward a democracy and a market economy. Ani and her family escaped during the height of this revolution, along with families from Hungary and Bulgaria and other former communist countries. We actually, my husband surrendered in Wuppertal, I mean in Berlin, and then because there were so many immigrants in flocks from the East Bloc to the West, uh-huh. they couldn't keep us or them in Berlin, so they dispersed them throughout Germany, different cities. So my husband ended up with a group of immigrants from Turkey, Bulgaria, Czech, any, any like that wet East Bloc. And his group ended up in Wuppertal, which is a small city in Germany. So he kind of settled there. This is the exact, I was just telling you, this is the exact kind of sort of setup. We had cot, they had cot beds and when we got there, then they separated. They gave us a little more of a private room. But still like people would still, I remember coming in and out, they're like, either men they're like we were living like in a very commune area where we had like even oh we had showers like here you go out and showers but they were destroyed by the time it got there they're like bad um the kitchen we had like just a stove and there was batteries burnt actually i still have pictures and then um trying to cook food like just like this i literally like i'm reliving this is how we lived in, <laughs> in germany Wuppertal, and, like right this is right. like Eventually, 
Ani and I did get around to talking about food. And here is her story. There was a lot of lack of food. Um, uh, so, um, not, well, I can remember she just had like some yogurt in the morning but that was like yeah she had to wake up super early to get the yogurt because you would run out of by the time if you waited so it'll be a little piece of bread with some yogurt in the morning or some tea okay so and this then, is still communist Romania. Oh, yeah. this is the 70s and 80s and uh like yeah because i was born in 71 and then i remember since i can remember but then um you would have a lot of uh, home-cooked meals like a lot of um casseroles so you would eat that for two three days but the the food is very interesting because in, uh, I think we talked about uh, all the influences we have from the Turkish from the Hungarian and also from Russian like I grew up in a small Tova type of province mm-hmm. so it was like I don't know how many provinces in Romania now five something like that um, so we had a lot of food um, so the breakfast was pretty fairly simple. The lunch, my mom didn't pack us lunch. You just had to like go eat out, like whatever you could find at the market. But when she would like, we would come home from school, she would have food for us on the stove. So I was like the older sister, so I had to feed my sister. Did they feed you in, in school like they do in America? No. Okay. So you either had to bring food with you or eat when you came home? You were hungry when you came home. Everybody was like, I remember, like, when you come home, like, what did your mom make? What did you have? What do you have? What do you have good? And then, um, so everybody would kind of like, if your mom was home or something like that, they would kind of sort of take pity on you and feed you. <laughs> right. Too. If not, I knew my mom would leave food because my mom and dad worked separate shifts, and then we just come home and we food on the stove make sure you feed your sisters okay be good bye so your dad because she come home in an hour just watch her I was seven and my sister was three wow <laughs> yeah a lot of responsibility totally yeah the older yeah the oldest female typically in most cultures are the babysitter oh yeah yeah I, I raised my sister when my mom and dad weren't around so I actually made her hair brush her hair we had clean clothes my mom she always made sure we had clean clothes but like we grew up in one room. My sister and I never had our own room. We never had like mm-hmm. toys or anything. So we grew up in one room, one bed. We didn't have cots or beds. So we had, it was like a sort of a day room that was like our living room, which is not bigger than this, but a bit bigger. And then my mom and dad, they had the bedroom. So the, my sister and I live in the day bed living room, so in the daytime, the day, day bed at night. Here in the U.S., If we need an item for dinner, we just go to the supermarket for most of us. But in Romania, farmer's markets are a way of life. Farmer's market, like we would go there and a lot of people from the village, they would come there in in the big city, so they sell their things and that's what we have. We didn't like have a supermarket, so you could have like go to the bakery and buy bread and then you Mm -hmm. go to the farmer's market and get like little things, the, the and then you would go into a big, huge um, room where we they would sell vegetables. Vegetables. They're like full of dirt, and you have to like search through like carrots. And I remember potatoes, carrots mostly. They were just little ones. 
interesting. Okay, did anybody grow their own herbs? Um, herbs if you had a home, home, you could. But by the time I remember, like, and I kind of realized that people would, what they, the communists did, they tore a lot of the homes down, so they wanted everybody to be in this huge buildings, and he was going through a city, plowing down all the homes so he can build all these buildings that were everybody supposed to have better life, but people didn't want to do that. A lot of homes survived, actually, but a lot of homes got destroyed to be put into buildings. So whoever had a home, they were able to grow their own, the only way to kind of survive through the winter, so to grow your own good, like, herbs and potatoes, and you have to, like, what do you call it, like, pickle them or can them can them or so your your parents um they probably came of age before the soviet era was food more plentiful before world war ii absolutely it was west it was totally considered west did she know how to cook or was she too young at that point she was too young okay i think it happened when her parents were in the 50s is that when all this craziness yes all the sh like spreading and cutting and countries being mm -hmm. divided and the Berlin Wall went up yeah exactly in the 50s mm -hmm. I believe so, so my mom was just born in 52 oh okay my dad was 50 born in 15 my mom 52 so there was no handing down of family recipes to her probably so since you've gone back after after you left um, does the cuisine look different now that there's plenty again, did people remember how to cook the traditional foods? It's going away, actually. Oh, I no. See that. Yeah, it's going away. Like with any culture that they're losing. But there's some, um, if you go in Romania, like we want to do the summer, hopefully we can get there. Um, there are these bed and breakfast and also agricultural. So bed and breakfast and people have their own little land. Mm -hmm. So they grow their sheep or cows and they make their own cheese and they bake their own bread like the old style way like in a when um outside in a like they heat up the, the stove with wood and then they take it out and that stove stays hot and then they put the bread in there so they cook it like that and makes this crusty mm -hmm. hearty breads and they make their own cheese and you get that cheese and they have the homegrown not yeah homegrown honey made out of their own local bees and uh, it's just like i like that that people want to go towards they don't want to go towards like a big city type of cuisine they want to go through the agriculture bed and breakfast mm -hmm. and experience the nature and that would be me the local <laughs> foods and i would i would totally highly recommend that if you're into that okay. experiencing the actual culture and how they cook and how they make their food and very tasty actually mm -hmm. Ani's stories have made me very curious about Romanian cuisine, so I asked her, what should I learn first? What I really love, and my mom used to make a lot, it's called um, uh, borscht, but it's not the same as a Russian. Okay. So we make it like, you know kombucha nowadays? Yes. So it's a fermentation of a, it's a fermentation process, so you get this kombucha type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a little sourish, it's a little like flavor. So you make your vegetable soup or meat soup, whatever you want to add to your soup, and then you add borscht on top. And it's already fermented. It's already fermented. So when you, it's okay. like kind of adding like some sort of like a sourish, lemonish, like traditional sauerkraut that's fermented, not pickled. Correct. Yes. Correct. 
Right. So you can actually add that to your borscht, but then borscht, borscht itself has to be, it's, it's, it's a whole process. It's, somebody has to know how to make it. Okay. But you can actually add that fermented sauerkraut. So there's two. You can actually make it with both. Okay. Um, but I can I can actually make it here, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> so I'd rather have somebody make it for me. But, and then you put this herb that you cannot find it here. Oh, right. There's a name for it that I can, like, I have, like my mom, she grows it. And when she has it, she gives me like a big batch. So I could put it in my borscht. And then you can add a little bit of sour cream. That's what I think a lot of Spanish food and Mexican food and Romanian food use a lot of sour cream or crema. So you add that to your soup. Do you add it when it's cooler or hotter? When it's, it's hotter. So when it's it hotter. melts in there. So and it doesn't like, break. It doesn't break. So there's a like certain heat that you could just add it. But you don't have to add it the whole pot. You can add it to each individual dish so somebody might not like it. So you could just add it separate. Okay. And you eat it with either cornmeal or like a good hearty bread okay not sliced bread that's right 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 <laughs> a good hearty bread crusty so you, bread so that's actually a whole meal i don't i don't think you need to eat anything else after that because you're so full from the bread the sour cream and then um you can actually choose to eat a little bit of chili hotter or not depending on your taste so that's like a complete that's how we eat it in in, in my part of the country moldova okay that's it not. sounds like a special dish. Would that be something that they would make during special occasions? No. Okay. No, it's, it's mainly just... it's like an everyday type of meal, like some okay. quick to make and then um, last you for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Buy the bread and you store it a certain way, the bread so it doesn't get too hard. And you make that soup and you have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, basically. Okay. <laughs> and that was it's one of my favorite that I would love to kind of make it as authentic as I can when I'm home. But I do use um, the sauerkraut. Okay. Um, the... the herb that escaped Andi's memory is lovage, or in Romanian, iubire. It has long been cultivated in Europe, according to Wikipedia. The leaves can be used in salads or to make soup or seasoned broth, and the seeds are used as a spice. In the Netherlands, lovage leaves are traditionally cooked with asparagus and salt and served with boiled eggs. In Romania, the leaves are a preferred seasoning for the various local broths equally as much as parsley or dill. For all those with a sweet tooth, I was sure to ask Ani about her favorite desserts. Dessert, oh. Well, they're more French, but we still have them too. Um, crepes. Oh yes. But we add our own little flavor to it. Crepes are, if you ha if you make homemade crepes with homemade jelly, or a jam. So crepes, and also um, what's more of a traditional food, like in the in, the, in the Easter and Christmas, my mom makes this. It's called kozonak, but it's sweet sweet bread with either you put fruits, dried fruits in there, or cocoa and cocoa mixed with uh, um, walnuts and sugar. So you make that sweet bread. You put those things separate, whatever you can combine them. But that's like a more of a traditional holiday bread. Okay. It's more of a sweet. That's more like of a dessert bread type of thing. Is there a cookie that Romanians are known for? Like New um, Mexico, they have their own steak. Cookie. Yeah, we do have um, 
call them like cornolette because I don't know how you even say it in English. I guess there's like this little dough filled with jam in there. Okay. So you just make it in like little tiny pieces with powdered sugar on top. Cornolette? Cornolette and that. So those are my favorite. Actually, it's more like a butter cookie because it has a lot of butter or, or lard. We, we used to love lard. Uh -huh. <laughs> my grandpa used to eat that on his piece of bread. Uh-huh. He would just spread it? The lard. Uh-huh. Good lard, it shouldn't be bad for you. But you stuff, cabbage rolls, those oh, are right. really good. If you know, if you pickle your cabbage, and whenever you think it's done, you can actually take a pickled cabbage and you mix your, you can actually make it probably at home if you know how to do it. Um, pickle your cabbage, and there's a lot of recipes. Every culture has their own flavor to it, but Romanian, Moldova actually, she, my mom makes the best, I think. Okay, of so course, mom that. is always best. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I don't know if you make it like like a family has to teach somebody how to make a like an authentic dish. You have to learn from somebody that does it. And my mom, she's like, oh, you put this and that, and like, but it never comes the way you make it. It's like, oh, okay, okay. Do you have to keep on trying until you kind of figure that particular combination in mm -hmm. your mom's? Because I know I eat my mother-in-law's um, cabbage and sheep. Like her tastes different, so it, like she's more she's more of a Hungarian. Like mm -hmm. that's she probably puts paprika in there. Uh huh. But she, her tastes different than my mom's. Yes, I have a lot of um, old cookbooks, and um, they were written they were written differently uh, than the cookbooks today. So there's a lot of information missing from old recipes in in cookbooks, and I'm sure even if you inherited your grandma's recipe cards, there would be a lot of information missing because she knew exactly what it was supposed to look like or taste yes. like or the texture. And so there's a lot missing in transla translation unless you're sitting next to them and then you watch them and you're like, oh, that's why. That's why. Even one recipe um, that was passed down um, quickly during a mass evacuation, I think, in northern Africa, these women, they realized that they were going to have to evacuate within... 48 hours and they just grew really close and they cooked and they they kept their recipe secret because that was part of their their little shtick as friends you know don't don't let anybody know their secret recipes but when they were getting evacuated um one of them said well you just knead the dough until it's the texture of your earlobe oh okay. <laughs> okay that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense i'm thinking it's like yeah that's true and one thing that really to kind of parallel we were in tipa city so what I loved to eat like crazy was the fried bread. It reminded me so much like my grandma's, and I believe they're probably fried in lard. It tastes like, oh my gosh, this tastes like my grandma's. And that was one thing that I'm like, okay, this is kind of brought memories back a little bit. So fried bread is made in Eastern Europe too? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that must be as a result of a lack of an oven or yeast or something? Probably. I'm not sure why, because I remember my grandma was sitting with her next to the stove and I was waiting for her meat. She would always give me the first fried bread because I was just waiting patiently. <laughs> like, she okay. wanted to reward you. Yeah, she's like, oh, well, here you go. Here's grandma's love. I know. So I remember a few memories that, like, of love and I would wake up in the morning. She's like, go sit in the sun so the sun rays can kiss you the first good morning. And she would give me a little tea and bread. I'm like, here, here, it's your tea and bread and sit right here. <laughs> I would always remember sitting with her. She would always do something. Of course, she had to do it because otherwise they had no food for the winter. 
dry herbs, store potatoes, you know, pickle stuff. She would always grow her cucumbers to pickle, everything, of course, yeah. Corn to make for the animals for the winter. If they didn't have enough for that, for the crop didn't give them enough, they would have to go buy extra corn or extra hay. And of course, never, never um, missing wine. They would have a little like vineyard and they would make their wine and they would turn into vinegar in the spring because the temperature changes and the wine would ferment because it wasn't put it with any preservatives. preservatives. And then by the spring, it would, because it's heat and it was just going to. That was ferment. probably really good vinegar. Yes, red wine vinegar made in like old, old barrels that they've been using for years. Through the culinary lens, most cultures can be informally identified by a recipe or a spice or a distinctive sauce that that culture uses. So I asked Ani. But if there was one spice besides salt and pepper that would define Romania, what would it be? I think it's by province. I would say in my culture, I would say because I love it so much, maybe it's the lovage. Right, okay. Gotcha. So my mother-in-law eats a lot and makes a lot of food mm-hmm. in Africa. She, her goulash is the best, actually. <laughs> I was like, hmm. Does she know you think that? Yes, she does. And then she makes... Okay, so this might sound a weird dessert, but she makes this breadcrumbs. I don't know how she does it. She gets the plums. She takes the and she she mixes the breadcrumbs with butter, and she takes the plum and, and rolls it in a butter mixed of crumbs, and she bakes it. Huh, the best simple ingredients. Right, three ingredients. Like, to me, I could eat that all day long, and I love plums and I like the way she makes it. So that's one thing I have to kind of sort of ask her how to make it. I keep the recipe for myself. So the plums provide the sweetness but the crumbs provide some crispiness. Yes. Almost like individual, oh, crumbles. Yes, yeah. And she doesn't add extra sugar. I think she only had maybe a little bit for the crumbs, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. It felt as if I knew Ani for years, but the truth is we had only met just a week prior. We were both working a medical mission in order to help fight the pandemic. Our time together was coming to a close, and I had the privilege of having a delightful conversation with a beautiful lady that has lived through and seen and given so much of herself. She is a generous soul that delights in the delights of others. Within just a few minutes of meeting her in those old barracks, she offered her barista station to her bunkmates. Ani loves coffee, and she loves to share her love of coffee with others. After all, aren't the best conversations over a hot cup of coffee? Today, our Food in the News segment is all about current Romanian food culture. According to the article, Ag Cooperatives, Only Way to Help Ailing Small Farms from Euroactive.com, cooperatives and funding from the EU can save the small farms of southern Romania. Due to the oppressive political structure during the Cold War, Romanian farmers are naturally wary of cooperatives. During the Soviet years, farms were a part of a large cooperative where the government made all of the decisions for the farmers. 
Today's cooperatives are farmer-centered, where the decisions are made by the co-op members. Younger farmers are more open to the modern version of a co-op and are proponents of saving small farms through co-ops that can benefit from EU funding. This is done through the Common Agricultural Policy. This incentive can help save small farms in southern Romania. According to the article, there are more than 1,500 cooperatives, of which 200 were established in 2019. There is a growing interest in utilizing local food sources and shortening the supply chain. Savvy farmers have even used the internet to sell directly to consumers. Our cookbook spotlight today is titled simply Romanian Cookbook, Traditional Romanian Food by Community Center Romanian. Here is an excerpt from Bookshop. We think of the smells and tastes of our childhood and say, Grandma made it best. This nostalgic experience is part of our personal history, while the process of cooking maps the cultural history of a nation. Romanian cooking is therefore, at its core, the most eclectic, varied, and complex cooking found in Eastern Europe because of its national history. Romanian cooking encompasses the taste of the Mediterranean because of the Ottoman occupation and the Slavic and Austro-Hungarian influences due to its geographical proximity to Russia and Hungary. Romanian cuisine is not simply the amalgamation or duplication of these nations' dishes, but has a flavor all its own. The richness and variety of tastes found in uniquely Romanian food satisfy not only the appetite, but the soul as well. Romanian dishes are considered comfort foods because of their complex and savory character. The rich ingredients local to the Romanian heartland come together to create the seductive flavors that warm the body and nourish the heart. We hope that this cookbook will be a treasure for you and your family as you explore all that the nation has to offer and share the recipes with your loved ones. You can support local bookstores and this podcast by shopping on bookshop.org. A link to this book is in the show notes at fusioncraftiness.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast is brought to you by FusionCraftiness.com, a food blog with world-inspired recipes for the home cook. Browse both traditional recipes as well as world-inspired recipes. Sign up for the newsletter and enjoy delicious recipes delivered straight to your inbox. You can find notes with links for this show at FusionCraftiness.com forward slash podcast. That's it for now. Until next time, explore, learn, eat. Eat.